Let's turn to God's holy word this morning. It's um, always with a sense of expectation that we come to God's word. I, I pray that is for you. And as we open God's word to Luke chapter 12, let's come with a sense of expectation of what the Lord will say to us. Lord, what is it you want to say to me today? And let's see what he does. Luke chapter 12, and I want to start the reading in verse 13 where we ended last time, just to put the context around where we're going this morning. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13, and I'll be reading right through to verse 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart the altar. 
I want to introduce you to someone special this morning. He's called Mr. Worry. And he's got two sons. And their names are Anxiety and Fear. We all worry, don't we? At various times in life. And some of us uh, just worry more than others. We just warriors with an O, not an A. But you see, if we don't deal with this worry, it leads to something else. Worry, if undealt with, leads to anxiety. And anxiety and anxiety disorders, and I'm not speaking about those chemical imbalances in people or the traumatic causes, and I'm no expert in this field, but I do know that if worry isn't dealt with, it leads to anxiety, and anxiety leads to fear. Scripture teaches us. In America, and I'm sure the stats for New Zealand aren't much different, just less of a budget, but in America, the most common mental illness in the US, claiming 40 million adults, just adults, 18 and over, 40 million people. The budget for that is 42 billion a year. And that's just a third of the total for the mental health budget for America. 42 billion a year on mental health disorders and anxiety. And the church is no exception, you know. One of the most common counselling issues is this one, is worry. People come to us as pastors and they say to us, what do I do because I'm worried about this or that? It's one of the most common issues. What is at the root of worry, as we've seen in this passage this morning? What is at the base of it? Well, basically, it's not trusting God. And Jesus is going to explain this to the disciples, and hopefully to you and I too, so that we can be changed next time we worry, and we can know how to deal with it. You see, in this previous passage, and that's why I read it this morning, we had this rich guy who had all his crop coming in, and he was starting to worry, what am I going to do with all this stuff? But he came to the wrong conclusion, you see. He, he came back to himself and he said, I will, I will do this. He didn't consult the Lord, he didn't consult um, anyone else, he just said, I'm going to do this, my soul. He was the be-all and end-all of his existence. And so he said, I will build bigger barns. And so God said to him, you fool. Instead of looking to me, I will claim your soul tonight. And then, to who will all your goods go? And this morning we've got the opposite. We've got the worry about, how do I survive when I haven't got enough? You see, Jesus always deals with both sides, with the extremes, so that we know how to live in the middle of all. How do I, how do I survive when I haven't got enough? And Jesus points out to his disciples that whether you have too much or whether you have too little, there is a wrong attitude that can be associated with both these conditions. You see, his disciples were tempted to worry because they'd left their livelihoods behind. Jesus said, come, follow me. And so they were going behind Jesus. And they had no guarantee or contract that they had signed with him about provision and lodging and things like that. And so they would just go along with Jesus and food was provided. And humanly they would worry, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen when we 
I started to be persecuted by the Pharisees. What's going to happen to us then? Then people might not want to support us with food. And so he says to them, don't worry. You see, they had given up all to follow Jesus Christ. They were now living by faith. And what do we know about living by faith? James says to us, our faith will always be tested. And so, you and I as believers, if we are living by faith, we need to know our faith will be tested. And it comes down to this area of worry too. What do we do when our faith is tested? Well, I called the sermon this morning the tyranny of worry because it's what worry does to us. There is never a positive thing that worry will do to you and I. It is always a negative thing. And that is why it's so urgent that we deal with worry in our lives. The first thing that worry does to us is it destroys us. Worry destroys us. Look at verse 22 in your text. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink. The word anxious at the root of it is like a ship in a storm. It's torn apart, tossed about. I've got this ball. It's thrown about. Do you get the idea? I want you just to fix it in your head. When you are anxious, you are thrown about by various things that come your way. Those thoughts of what if throws you around. That if this happens, then that. But, you see those thoughts? They throw you around. And that's at the root of this word anxious, like a ship torn apart, tossed about in a storm. You see, there are implications of following the Lord Jesus Christ. He said so. What are some of the things Jesus said? He said, if they hate me, they will hate you. Foxes have places to hide at night, but the Son of Man has no place to put his head. There are implications to following Jesus Christ. And yes, it might mean that you have a lack of food at times. And yes, it might mean that you don't always have the latest fashion clothing items to wear. And yes, it might mean that your children suffer a little bit from not having shoes that are the latest trends at school. And they've got to wear the old-fashioned ones. And yes, it might mean that ISIS follows you and they want to kill your children for denying the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that put our little world in comparison? Jesus is saying here, yes, you might even face hostility. You will definitely be tested, but don't get all torn up about it. Don't get anxious. Isn't life worth more than just food? Verse 23. Isn't life more than just a body being clothed? Let's just stop there. If someone were to Grab your checkbook from your right now and your diary. And if someone could read your thoughts and open your wardrobe, what would be the summary that they would come to about your life? Is it just about food and clothing? What would your checkbook, what would your wardrobe, what would your diary, what would your thoughts say? You see, Jesus says, don't worry when you haven't got enough of these temporary things, because life, literally, the word for life here, used here is the soul is worth more than food. The soul is worth more than food. 
the soul and its existence on this earth is worth more than just clothing. So why do we worry about these things? Because all worry does is it throws us around. It makes you anxious. It tears you apart. It tosses you about. The second thing that worry does is it deceives us. Worry deceives us. And I'm going to look here at verses 24. Worry deceives us. It gives us a false view of life and of God and His provision. So how does it do that? Jesus says, Exhibit A. Consider the ravens. And they would have seen many ravens as they're walking along the, the paths in Israel. They would have seen many ravens because the ravens tended to kind of follow people around because people are messy. They leave all kinds of food scraps. And ravens are scavengers. And ravens were also seen in the Jewish mindset as an unclean bird. So if you touched it, you were unclean. They were seen as lower than the sparrows. At least the sparrows, you could eat them. But you don't eat ravens. Unclean. And yet, says Jesus, God feeds even them. Do you see a raven saying to Mrs. Raven, excuse me, Mrs. Raven, I need to go and plant the crop and fertilize something over here and my combine harvesters come in after service. I need to go and... They don't do that. Ravens just go around picking and looking for things, right? To eat. And yet, your father feeds them, an unclean creature. Do you see the comparison? How much more valuable are you to God than these birds? Jesus loved to use his everyday examples as they were walking along. And he says, exhibit B. Which of you, through anxiety, can add one cubit or one hour to your lifespan? By worrying about your life, which of you can add time to your life? He used the form of cubit. A cubit was the length from your elbow here to the tip of your middle finger. That was a cubit. So in your lifespan, which makes up many cubits, who of you can add one bit of life by worrying? The opposite is true, isn't it? By worrying, we take away cubits from our life. Any doctor will tell you that. Jesus says, who of you can add even just one hour or one cubit? And the rhetorical answer would have been, we can't do it. And yet, says Jesus, if you can't even do the small thing, like adding time to your life, which God can do, how come you worry about these little things, which are nothing to God, like food and clothes? Do you see the, do you see the, the frame around it? We worry about the little small things. And worry, all it does is just, it deceives us because all we get is a small view of God. And worry deceives us to itself because it's sin in the end, isn't it? And what does sin do? It anesthetizes you to it. So worry deceives. Worry destroys. Thirdly, worry blinds us to itself and to God's provision. Not just that He's a great God, but to His provision to you. And Jesus says, consider the lilies, verse 27. They don't labor, they don't spin, and yet they are arrayed in even better garments than Solomon. Now, what does He mean by that? You see, as they were walking through these semi-parched areas, they'd come across these lilies, and they looked like the next one. 
Alright? They looked like that. Beautiful. And these kind of grow next to the paths where the water drains away from the paths. You'd find these lilies. And Jesus stopped and he said, look at these lilies. Not even Solomon was arrayed like one of these. And who was Solomon? Well, he was a real rich dude. He had a lot of money. He had the latest fashion items from, the, from Jerusalem. And he was known for his flamboyancy, amongst other things. Jesus says not even Solomon was dressed as beautifully as one of these. He says, consider the lilies. Stop. Stop in your headlong rush after things and just consider the lilies. And your heavenly Father provides for them too. Are you not worth more than worthless grass which is here in the morning and is then burnt in the oven and is gone? Jesus is putting perspective around you. And as you follow me around, you disciples, when you see the lilies and you see the grass, yes, they're here, gone in the morning and, uh, they're here in the morning and gone in the afternoon, but you are worth so much more than worthless grass. Oh, you of little faith, and here the position points to the sickness. You of little faith. Tell me, do you worry a lot about stuff in life? Your children, your family, your finances, your job, whatever. Do you worry? Jesus is speaking to you and to me. He's saying, oh you of little faith, recognize it for what it is. And then he will give us a solution of what we are to do. Are you of little faith? You see, this lack of faith has blinded us to God's provision and therefore we worry. So worry destroys, worry deceives us, worry blinds us. What else does it do? Have you heard anything positive yet? It doesn't do anything positive. The fourth thing is worry deforms us. It deforms us. It keeps us from growing like we should spiritually And it makes us like the world around us. I'm not saying it. The text is saying it. Verse 29 to 30. What does he say here? Verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He uses this word seek, and the word seek means to search after something with all your energy, with all your attention. Don't seek after what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now here's another definition. Because the word for worried is not the same as the word for anxious. Remember, what is the word for anxious? Revision? To be tossed about, right, in a storm. Well, the word for worry means to be held in suspense. So, so the troubles of the world crushing on you and they hold you in suspense and now worry is holding you here. You can't do anything because you're worrying about all kinds. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You can't think straight. Even the smallest things. You can't think straight. Nothing else seems to matter but this one thing which is worrying you. This is what worry does. It holds you in suspense. It makes you helpless. He says, don't be held in suspense by it. Don't be worried. You see, anxiety will tear you apart and worry will hold you in suspense. It will stop your spiritual progress. And you'll fluff around and you won't be able to do anything. 
He says, verse 30, what will that look like? Well, don't strive to be like the world. The world for strive means hard labor. Don't do hard labor chasing after what the world is chasing after. Where does that start? With our attitudes. Don't have an attitude like the world and chase after what the world is chasing after, but be different. Why? Why must we not chase after what the world chases after? Why must we not worry and be held in suspense by worry? He gives us the answer here. What is it? Verse 30. Because you have a Father who knows. You have a Father who knows what you need even before you need it. Isn't that an amazing thought? I have a Father who knows me so well that He knows what I need before I need it. Now those of you who've got small children, you'll understand that to to a degree. You know they need a hanky before they do. Right? But even their needs, their everyday needs, you know they need certain things before they know it. Right? Now, the Father knows you and I so well that He knows what we need before we even know we need it. He's our Father. And we want to worry. And this Father doesn't just know it. He can do something about it. He is the Almighty God. He is the provider of all. He is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides our every need. And He loves you and I. And as He said in chapter 11, so if a good Father can give good gifts, why won't your Father give you good gifts too? Why do we worry? Are we of little faith? William Hendrickson, famous dead guy, said this, When Christians hardly differ at all from outsiders in the ambitions they cherish, in the goals that they try to achieve, and in the manner in which they react to disappointments and adversities of life, etc., then there is something very wrong. When life hits you from a degree you weren't looking at, how do you react to it? How do I react to adversities in life? We've just heard of some adversities in life this morning. How do we react to these things when we hear this bad news? Do we react just like the world next to us? When we're sitting in the hospital waiting room and we've just had bad news, do we react just like the person sitting next to us who does not know Jesus Christ? Is there a difference in your life and mine? We have a Father who cares for us. We have an Almighty Father who can care for those needs. We have an Almighty Father who knows our very needs. And He loves us. And so our reaction should be different. And if it isn't, there is something very wrong. You see, what we say we believe must carry through into how we do things. Hendrickson said it in this way. He said, do we trust God in creed, in other words, what we say we believe, and then live as if we trust God indeed by what we do? Do the two marry what I say and what I do? And if I say, Lord, I trust you with my whole life. Lord, I know you will provide for my need. And then stuff happens. Do I then say, Lord, I trust you. I know you will provide. And mean it. 
see Jesus says, verse 31, instead of seeking after all these things with all your energy, there's something else you must seek first. What is that? What does it say in the text? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. First things first. We need to get our priorities straight, you see. Says Jesus, if we've got our priorities straight, if we are seeking after the kingdom first, then all these other things will be put into perspective. And they won't matter as much anymore. We need to seek first the the kingdom of God. Now look at this promise to us in verse 31. Because if we do, then all these things will be added to you. I love that word added because in the original it is the word for a drop of water going blink. All these things will be added to you. Why? Who's doing the adding? God is. And Him providing your needs and mine, isn't that for Him just a little effort? Because He's almighty. And so we don't have to strive after these things. God will just add them to us if we seek first the kingdom. Do you see it? What else does he say? Look at this. There's an amazing promise here to you and I. He says, because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. Now, please listen to me. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here this morning. I'm not saying to you, don't worry about clothes and food and all that stuff because you're going to get a kingdom. Gold clothes, Mercedes Benzes, you can choose which colour you want every day. The kingdom. I'm not preaching that at all. And please, if you ever say that, I will deny it. What I am saying is, yes, don't chase after clothes and food and all those things because God is giving you the kingdom. His kingdom. And what is that? Is His kingdom made up of clothes and food and all these things? No. What is His kingdom made up of? Jesus' kingdom is made up of souls who have been saved by grace alone and who will one day spend an eternity with Him in heaven. That's His kingdom. And so we need to ask ourselves as believers, are we spending all our time and our energy for His kingdom, for seeing someone else come to the Lord Jesus Christ, for seeing someone else having a Bible who hasn't got a Bible, for providing for those who are out in the field serving where we cannot be, Is His kingdom our priority? Because if not, we will worry about all these other things. Jesus says, I will give you the kingdom. And more than that, He will use us to bring that about. And that was the amazing thing. See, who was He speaking to here? He was speaking to His disciples. A small band of men surrounding Him there. And He was saying, I'm going to give you the kingdom. They must have wondered about that. Because what what were they up against? They were up against the whole Judaic system. They were up against the Romans. They were up against all these people who wouldn't believe Jesus Christ. And he's saying here to them, I will give you the kingdom. Wow. And didn't it come true? Look at you and I today. This is the kingdom. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's given His kingdom. And He's used them because we've heard the gospel. And you and I 
If you are part of that kingdom and you open your mouth and you speak about God and what He's done, then you too are used to build up the kingdom. He's giving you the kingdom. And when your eyes close in death and you open them in the next millisecond in life, you will inherit the kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we worry? Therefore, do you see what Jesus says now? It makes sense now. He says, sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Now, please listen to me. This verse has been misused. It doesn't mean when the service is closed, I want you to get on Trade Me and I want you to start listing everything you have and put it there at a base bargain price that will be gone by tomorrow. I'm not saying that. And I will deny it if you say I do. What I am saying is, do you really need everything you have? The money you have, the income you have, do you really need it all? Should we not be selling? Should we not be giving to those in need that we know to surround us? Instead of clutching it in our hot little hands. You see, we are to be building the kingdom. We are to not depend on our positions and the number of positions. We are to depend on God alone. Because our Father gives to us. And therefore, He gives to us in such a way that we can give to others. And when He blesses us and we hold on to things, what happens? They go bad in our hands. Remember the nation of Israel? They were out in the desert. God said to them, I want you to take as much as you can of these quail, of the quail and the manna that I will provide for you in the desert. Only as much as you need, no more. And what did they do? Like I would do if I was there. They grabbed as much as they could the first day it came. And they thought, wow, that's it. I'm going to barbecue the rest of this week. Because there would have been South Africans used there. But what happened? The next morning, it was bad. It was gone rotten. You see, when we hold on too much to the good gifts God gives to us, they go rotten in our hands. We need to be using what we have for the kingdom. The the early church gives us that example. Acts chapter 2 verse 45. What did they do? They shared amongst each other as they could. And everything was in common. Now, I'm not saying we're going to start a commune. I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is, don't hold on so much to what you have. Use it for God's kingdom. Because, you see, we are to provide ourselves with something else. And this is the last bit of our verse here. Provide ourselves with what? There's something that we need to do. What is it? Provide ourselves with imperishable money bags. So yes, those of you who like the old jingle of the coin, the Lord still says you're going to have a money bag, so you can relax. But it's going to be an imperishable money bag. So it's not going to be in the shape that you think. Because it's going to be kingdom directed. It's going to contain a treasure which doesn't grow old. It's going to contain a treasure, he says here, that does not fail. It will never exhaust itself. There will always be more. It will never run out. Your treasure in heaven will never get into the red like your checkbook does. 
Your treasure in heaven will never be stolen. It will always be safe. It won't become worthless. It will always be valuable. Why? Because it is made up of human souls holding on to a Saviour who has saved them. And a Saviour who is everlasting. And when we are in Him, our souls are everlasting. That is the treasure we hold on to. You see what he's saying? So why worry? Because, and here Jesus gives the punchline, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now take note, take note of this. The order is very, very important. And even the tenses, and I know there's some English teachers here. He says here, for where your treasure is, that's present tense, right? There will your heart be also. What does that word will mean? It is future tense. So, where your treasure is now, there your heart will be in future. What is he saying? He's saying there's a difference between theory and practice. You see, in theory, as a Christian I say, I would like to be like this. I would like to serve the Lord like this. I would like to give Him my money. I would like to be more holy. And yet in practice, what do I do? It doesn't always measure up, you see. I need to look at my hands. If you want to know where your heart is, look at your hands. What are they clutching all day long? What are your legs running after all day long? Because that's where your heart is. Your heart is bound to the treasure you hold dear. You can't separate the two. Your heart is bound to your treasure. Where is your treasure this morning as you sit here? Is it in Jesus Christ and serving Him first? Or is it in chasing after the things of this world first? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so I want to give you three points of application this morning. How do we then defeat worry? If you're a warrior with an O, how do you become a warrior with an A for Jesus Christ? Well, the first thing is this, and I've talked about it already. Trust God in practice. He knows your need. He knows your needs before you know your needs. So trust Him in practice. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. There's a few scriptures I want to end with this morning as we look at how do we defeat worry in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Turn with me over there. Let's see what God's Word says to us. Romans 8, verse 32. This is what he says. I'm going to start from verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Here it is. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he was willing to give you and I his most precious his only Son, how much more will God look after our everyday needs if we love Him? Hold on to that promise. Look at another one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. What does God's Word say to us? Take hold of these promises and put them into practice because you will see worrying disappear out the window of your life. Philippians chapter 4, 
verse 6 and 7. This is what it says. I'll start at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It doesn't matter what the news is, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the promise, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There will be no more place for worry in your life if Jesus is filling. So trust God in practice. Second point is this. Make His pleasures your treasures. I've tried to get this so you can remember them, alright? So the first one was trust God in practice, not hard. Second one, make his pleasures your treasures. What do I mean by that? Psalm 4 verse 5 says this, Offer right sacrifices to the Lord. What does he want? What does the Lord want? What is a right sacrifice? A heart that is right with him, right? And put your trust in the Lord, says the psalmist. So make his pleasures your treasures. Second Corinthians chapter 4, turn there and we're going to look at what it says to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So, life is coming against you. Here's God's word wanting to speak worry out of your life. This is what it says. So we do not lose heart. Isn't that the first thing we do? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. The worst sickness can come against you or a member of your family. It is wasting their body away. But if they are in the Lord, their inner nature is being renewed. It's being built up. It's being strengthened day by day. And so, verse 17, for the slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. Ah oh, man, come Lord Jesus. Make your His pleasure your treasure. And then worry will have no more place in your life. And then the last one is this one. Tighten up but loosen up. Now I'm not Irish. So listen. Tighten up but loosen up. Tighten up what? Tighten up your grip on His promises in His Word. Tighten up by holding on to them when life comes against you. And loosen your grip on trusting the world and its goods to save you. So tighten up and loosen up. You see, our attitude should be this. My resources are not mine, but yours, Lord. Show me How to use them for your glory. Now there's a loose grip on what you have. Using it for the Lord. Oh God, help me to trust you when I need those same resources. You see, there might be times when you need those very same resources you've given away. Well, trust God to provide them. That is living faith in practice. Psalm 37 says this. Now listen to the verbs here, the doing words. 
trust in the Lord and do good. Don't just sit there helplessly. Oh, I'm going through hard times. No, trust in the Lord and do good. Carry on doing good in the hard times. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Be still before the Lord and then wait patiently for Him. In other words, says the psalmist, let His grace be all sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient, but put it into practice in your life. Trust in the Lord your God. Daryl Bach, a famous living guy, says this, The call of God will never take you and I to a place where the grace of God cannot sustain us. God will never put you in a situation where His grace is not enough to see you through whatever you are going through. So you do not have to worry. Will you remember these words? For some reason God has given us this this week. It might be that worry is just around the corner for you this week. I don't know what's coming. Will you trust the Lord in this? I want to end in Jeremiah, just before you thought I was finished. I need to finish with Jeremiah. You didn't think I was going there, but I am. Jeremiah chapter 17. And I want God's word to ring in your ears. And I promise you when I've read these words, the final word will be Amen. Listen to the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 8. Apply to your life. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. If you want to be there, then don't trust the Lord. Rather, verse 7 Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust, look at this, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Others will see your life and give glory to God even during times of adversity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, in Your great wisdom, You have given us this specific word from Your Holy Script this morning. Lord, we do not know what the future holds, but we know that You do. But we also know that You hold the future. And so, Lord, help us in our human weakness when those bits of bad news come our way, when the food looks very little on the table, when we don't know how to clothe our children next, when the adversity comes against us, Lord, help us to fight that first reaction of worry. Because it will only lead to anxiety and it will only lead to fear. And that is sinning before you.
because we have an almighty God who is on our side. We have an almighty and a loving heavenly Father who would pour out his blessings on us. And yet we would worry. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the tyranny of worry which would break us up and destroy us. Lord, hold us because we cannot hold you. We are too weak. You hold us, eternal and great God. Amen.